Welcome to another episode of Life Stories by Congo Kid, where I share my experiences of growing up in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. My hope is you find knowledge, entertainment, information, and insight of another culture and a new perspective of the Congolese people and Africa. Today's episode is about some of the most amazing people I know. These folks are tough. They are strong, both physically and emotionally. They don't complain, but toil tirelessly in their duties, only stopping to sleep. Their stamina and physiology has been studied scientifically, and most of these folks have the fitness of elite Ironman competitors. What they endure is something very few Americans and Westerners could do, yet these people persevere. On top of all this, they are treated as second-class citizens. They are put down and have little joy in their life. Nor do they have opportunities to pursue their dreams, but rather are stuck in roles their culture has defined for them for generations. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Congolese village woman. Amazing people they are. I have seen these African ladies haul 100 pounds of wood on their head for five miles after spending hours cutting and gathering the wood in the jungle and forest. Besides the huge load of wood on their head, they are carrying an infant on their back, and quite likely, they are pregnant, carrying a baby in their belly. I know of ladies that were hauling wood or produce back from a garden many miles away with a baby strapped on their back. Then they stopped on the path to deliver a baby. A short time later, she got up, got some help to haul the wood to the village, and finished her journey home on foot. I think she got the next day off to rest, but then it was back to work again. Anybody you know could do that? I doubt it. Talk about tough. I have visual memories of seeing women with a baby on their back and either wood stacked high on their heads or a huge jug of water on their head with sweat pouring off of their of their heads because it's not only exhausting work but it's also very humid and very hot. I also remember kind of a funny comment one of our boys commented on about the women in the village saying he wouldn't want to arm wrestle any of those women because you could see that their muscles were so well developed after pounding day after day. I pounded it. It, it is hard work. And anymore, I use my machine when I need to pound something because it is really hard work to take that pondu, the manioc leaves, and pound it up enough so where it's easier to cook and therefore to eat. That was Karen Carlson, a Mission Aviation Fellowship missionary wife for the past 36 years. She's married to Dan Carlson, my podcast guest of episode number four about Charlie Mike Uniform, the airplane. Karen raised and homeschooled seven children while helping Dan with his work flying around Congo. In addition, Karen has a heart for women and has worked with women for many years. The Congolese culture in most tribes is patriarchal. There are a few exceptions, of course, but mainly the men dominate and the women and girls are subservient. The cards are stacked against village girls and women for them to get an education and pursue their dreams. 
it is a very patriarchal system of governing. There were clear roles, example, in the production of food in the village. The men's job was to clear the land for the gardens, and then he was done. And the woman was to do all the rest. She did the planting, she managed the crops, she did whatever weeding, whatever harvesting, and then the cooking. That was all her roles. In the family, her role and her worth is to bear children, to care for the home and children, and to prepare the meals. Polygamy is kind of winked at by a lot of people. It's very definitely understood. The wealthier you are, the man is, shall I say. It doesn't go both ways. Women are not allowed to have multiple husbands. It's just the husband who is allowed to have multiple wives. And often, the more wealthy you are, the more wives you have. And infidelity is also very common. Again, it's accepted and almost expected by many men in this society, but not necessarily by the women. How does this translate into girls' and women's outlook on life? Say you're a village girl 50 miles from a city. What is your future? Even though this might not be said out loud, it is very much implied and that the older as a girl grows and there's more children born into the family, she is the one who is often the caretaker for the younger children, especially if her mother goes off and has a small business selling things like has a little restaurant on the side of the road or has a little kiosk with small things that she sells. They are not women in general. Young girls are not encouraged to develop their own gifts and abilities outside of the traditional family needs. They are also viewed as the means to satisfy a man's sexual needs. It is changing, especially before um, marriage and childbearing for a lot of young women. I would say that childbearing and marriage aren't as early as they have been historically. Historically, once a girl reached puberty, that was when she uh, was expected and often chosen to go into uh, marriage. This next part is very hard for me to understand. It's very hard to to talk about as well. Two different times I've heard from people who work closer with women than I have, who have more of an intimate knowledge with them. One man I know was having a seminar with some of the women in leadership within the church. And he asked them, how many girls and women have had sexual abuse in their family and in their lives? The women answered after a great pause, 100%. So he thought, Well, maybe they didn't understand the question properly because he was shocked. It's like, how could this be? So we asked him again. And again, the answer was 100%. That was maybe 10 years ago. And I've always thought about that in the back of my mind, thinking, wow, is that really true? And then at Easter, I was having a lunch with um, a friend who works with young women one-on-one and in a small group. She asked how many virgins there were at weddings before they got married and all of those in the group said oh zero percent so that gives you a little bit of clue of what you know some of the struggles that women and 
that girls have in growing up and becoming women in this society. As a Congolese girl, what can you expect for an opportunity at an education and what can derail that plan? There's not always enough money for all the children to get their education because they have to live within reality. I mean, school fees are a constant struggle for most people in Congo. And so you have before you some money that can go to some of the children. So rather than it being based on merit or on ability, it almost always goes for the boys first. And then if there's enough money left over, it goes to the girls. The other thing that is changing, and it is a good thing, is that it used to be historically, as soon as a woman or a girl reached puberty, she was uh, considered eligible for marriage and an arranged marriage would be sought. And that's not the case so much longer. More and more, they are delaying marriage until the girls are getting in their 20s or maybe even 30s. But there's still lots that get married in their late teens. If you look at how the odds are stacked against women and girls, they shouldn't be happy or joyful. The work, the lack of opportunity, the oppression, and being the subservient class is demoralizing. Yet I must say that some of the most kind, sweet, loving, and generous people I know are Congolese village women. How do they endure? There are two responses to that. And the women that you probably saw in your growing up years was mainly because they were women at the church. And they were women who actually loved the Lord and found their strength and their source of joy and ability to keep going. It is not something that you can do and muster up yourself. There is a, like a saying, a belief that the Congolese have an unending source of being able to absorb or endure suffering. And the ability to endure suffering maybe has come through so many years of hard things happen to them. They've been in civil war for decades. They deal with health crisis and marriage crisis and all kinds of abuses and things that we take for granted. They deal with that almost on a daily basis. And so they have a different awareness, a different mindset, a different worldview than most of us. It's more along the lines that they aren't expecting everything to be perfect. They know that life is hard. They know that family is important and that's where their joy comes from. Their joy doesn't come from security because most of them don't have security. Most of them don't know where their meal for the next day is going to come from. And so it's a daily existence. And so they know how to celebrate the joy that is in that day and the joy that is in that moment. So what happens if a girl manages to get an education and land a position of authority? There is also the other side of women, and I see this coming out in women who have gained positions of authority. Finally, they have been recognized and they are given a platform. And they can be some of the most difficult and hard people to deal with. I will give you a few examples. 
it is very common when you are driving along the streets in Kinshasa to be pulled over by the police for sometimes legitimate problems, generally a made-up problem. Men policemen are usually more relaxed. You can talk with them. You can kind of laugh with them. They are a lot more reasonable. But what you don't want is to have a woman policeman because they are known to be the most difficult, the most hardline, the least willing to give or to negotiate or to talk with. And I think this comes out of their being oppressed so much in their life that when they're finally given a little bit of power over somebody else, they really abuse it, which is that. Let's talk daily life with your husband in a village in Congo. Generally, I would say the women walk behind the husband, but it is unusual to see men and women holding hands in Congo society. Public affection is not at all shown. In fact, you would be more likely to see men holding men's hands and women holding women's hands. Or in the Western world, that is means something else. In Congo, that's just a sign of, of close friendship. So it's not what we would think it was. Men do eat together, and then the women and children eat behind or after when the guests are um, around. Although I even think that is beginning to change because of the influence of a lot of Western movies and the Internet and Facebook, all those social media platforms, they are very aware of what's going on in the world. Or a lot of the things that we saw even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, has been changing. Their dress is changing. Their, what women used to be expected to wear is changing. I never wore pants in the village, ever. And now in Kinshasa, you see girls not only wearing pants, but short skirts and short shorts. Men sit on one side of the church, women on the other. I would say, again, that tends to be more in the village and in smaller, more indigenous churches within Kinshasa. The bigger churches that are in Kinshasa and some of the bigger cities, they're, they're not so much doing it that way. Um, if a couple of is, in, is infertile, I would say more likely that they are to take a second wife than to divorce the woman. The unmarriage rate, the men in the family decide often who and how much his daughter is going to be. And there's usually quite a long list, quite a long requirement for what they want their, what to receive from their daughters which is one of the reasons why promiscuity before marriage is so high and why there are so many teen pregnancies and unmarried women. I would say it's epidemic proportions to have young unmarried moms in a family. On the other hand, the family is very willing to take in the child and adopt them as their own even if you're married to a good man, it may not mean your challenges are over. I had remember one of my 
women that I was closest to came to me. She had recently married within the last couple of years, but she was older and she did not have any children. And then her sister, and she was telling me how shameful, how much shame it brought onto the family that she did not have any children and that her sister, they had had several children die in the family and how that was so shameful for the family. And, and she was weeping and that's very unusual unless it's in a death situation for a woman to weep uh, in front of especially a Western expatriate woman. So that just shows how deeply shamed she felt with that. Or if you are married to a good man and your husband unfortunately passes away, the widow's rights still may not be recognized. When the husband died, the family literally came to the house within hours of the husband's death and they began taking out everything in the house, including furniture, clothing, food items, where one woman was left with absolutely nothing. Sometimes even the children have gone to the husband's families. And one case where the husband knew he was ill and he tried very hard to make sure that his wife would be provided for by putting the deed in of the house that he built for her and the children in her name, but it didn't matter because the husband's family took it to court. The court sided with the husband's family. So until the courts also change, and a lot of that has to do with which side has the greater amount of money to pay for quote-unquote justice to be done, until some of those things change. They have good laws on the books. They really do. But it is still very much the one with the greatest amount of money rules. The men have considerable leeway in how they treat their wives. I visited a friend of mine in 2013 when I was in Congo. She, a pastor's wife, and I were talking, and she said rather nonchalantly and matter-of-factly that her husband was, quote, good, unquote, and, quote, never once beat me, unquote. Like that is something to be proud of and that she's an exception. She sounded grateful as it was expected to have her husband raise his hand against her. And because he hadn't, he was a good man. So I have not personally had a lot of women tell me those. I have heard it secondhand. I do because of what I have heard. It seems like it is a given. It's not seen as a wrong and it's a, main, a means to keep women um, in line. I think the men are sometimes afraid of women and so this is they aren't they aren't secure in themselves they are very insecure very easily threatened by a woman even though they like to keep them under wraps so to speak i really can't say from firsthand experience that women have confided that in me i've just heard it through others congolese society and culture still has a double standard for women and men regarding promiscuity yeah, women do struggle um, in ways that I'm typically not used to seeing in Western countries. Uh, women of the night are shunned, although they're very apparent, they're very out there. 
but men having promiscuity are not necessarily shunned. I remember a couple of Sundays ago, I was preaching to this small church. It was for Women's Day, and I was focusing on women in the church. And I asked them in the congregation, I said, what would happen if a woman of the night would come to this church service? Would she be welcomed? And immediately everyone, especially the men in the congregation, were shaking their heads and saying, oh, no, no, never, never. And I said, but how are they supposed to find Jesus if they're not welcome in the church? And sisters in the Lord, we should be coming alongside and standing next to these women and encouraging them and helping them to break off their their roles and, and helping them gain gainful um, employment so that they don't have to sell themselves. But I, I don't really think they heard me or thought I was, was speaking the truth in that. But things are changing regarding courtship, marriage, and the husband-wife relationship. I think their women, young girls, have more of a choice. They are delaying marriage and childbearing until they're a little bit older. Although it's still very traditional when a girl wants to get married to have the parents go through a formal, they have a much more formal courtship and agreement. And if it's in the village, that's still a very complicated situation that you have to navigate. And I really can't speak to that. I would say primarily, I think that a lot of those changes are because there is a growing middle class sector in Kinshasa, for example. And now, more and more, as you see education increasing, as you see social media taking more of a part, as you see more opportunities for financial advancement in families, you are seeing more of a middle class. And as that occurs, then you also see a lot of changes in marriage, work, education, respect, clothing, all of those things come along with a growing middle class. So how do these women and girls cope and maintain a positive spirit in spite of the physical and emotional and oppressive nature of their culture? I think because of their circumstances, they have learned to be, as Paul says in Philippians, to be content in any and every circumstance. Because they, there are so few things that they can really guarantee. In developed countries, we have more assurances, although, you know, it is interesting to see how we have less and less assurances, as we may have thought even a couple of years ago, now that this <laughs> past year has eclipsed. But I think they are more used to and therefore have fewer expectations of life. And so they just take it as it comes and they have joy in simple things. They have a lot of, I've heard so many laughters and I tell you a Congolese kid on the street can be absolutely filthy and not running down into his mouth, but he can smile and his smile goes from ear to ear and it eclipses everything else you see about him. We have seen children, small children, girls, 
playing in the mud and muck and in tatters in clothes, and yet they're laughing and they're having a good time because they don't expect anything else. It's like, this is, this is my life and I'm going to make the best of it. And look, isn't this game great with my friends? And the bond of friendship and the bond of family is greater than the difficulties and the suffering that they endure. And I feel like that is one of the keys to their being able to sustain and go through and endure so much. Things that would break you and I, or seemingly would, they can manage because they understand how important community is. They understand how important their faith is. But I think they understand that God is not there to be there, give me everything. Is it possible to change hundreds of years of cultural DNA? I do. It's very hard to change long-standing traditions in a village that's very isolated. And even there, cell phones are reaching and they are getting it. So it may happen faster than you or I would think that it would. They are still very much tied to the ancestral ways of doing things. I remember we were trying to get our staff to eat more beans because beans are a great pro product, great produce, easier. To, they, they were able to be grown, but it took years of us feeding it to our staff, encouraging them to plant it before they themselves would really eat it. And then it took them a couple of years to change their family's perception of it. But it is possible. It can be done. But it doesn't happen as quickly as in the city, which is, is not unusual. That's the same thing in the U.S. Change happens a lot faster in the bigger cities in the U.S. than out in the farmlands of Nebraska or Colorado. So what needs to happen to the Congolese and tribal cultures for women to have equal opportunities as men? And will it happen? I think only as the gospel gains more and more prominence and more and more influence in society, that is really the only thing that will really bring equal opportunities for all. Because from the very beginning, back in Genesis, that's where the battle began. And it is only as the gospel intersects and changes society and societies in the past that the role and value of women has changed. I don't know of societies apart from those who are Judeo-Christian based and even Jesus himself changed and began the change in the position and value of women. So I think that's our only hope. I really do. Women have shared their burdens with Karen over the years. Burdens most of us in America don't even think about and will never face. They're concerned with where are we going to get the money or the food that we need to eat tomorrow? How am I going to protect myself from not being robbed while I'm on the city transport system? Where am I going to get the money to send my children to school? Those are the questions that 
I hear from a lot of women. All the years working with and befriending Congolese women tugged at Karen's heart, so much so that she studied and researched oppressed women from all over the world and decided to write a book about it. At first, it was just as I viewed the Congolese women around me, we began many of our early years living in a village, though they were, there were women and I could see what was going on in their lives and their hard life, and that really grieved me. But my plate was really full. So I, I just began increasing what I read and what I began to see was that um, it opened to my eyes to the oppression of women all around the world. So it wasn't just a problem with DRC. It was throughout the world, not only in developing countries, but also in developed countries. They are the key to a stable society. They are the key to a stable nation. I saw the pattern in the unstable parts of, of Eastern DRC as I saw what happened to the women there. Because there's so much natural wealth in those areas, natural resources, there are warlords and the mil different military militia groups that like to keep the area unstable because they're able to control. My book is titled Prayers for Crown Jewels because I really believe that women are jewels in the sight of our God. But the subtitle is Honoring Women and Children in a World at War. That was a positive influence I felt that I could have in the women of the world and to honor them and to pray for them in ways that maybe other people aren't aware of. And so I took all of the things that I was learning and I put them in 30 different topics so that there would be one prayer focus for every single day of the month. And it would be a rotating month-by-month -month prayer focus. Sometimes it was education and freedom from sexual harassment. There were problems of forgiveness and past abuse and wrongs and health care and AIDS and malnutrition modern-day slavery, pornography, the poor. So there were many, many different facets. It wasn't just one thing that I could target or look at. It, they were all interconnected. And I wanted to have a prayer focus that was encompassing as many of these different facets of the life of women as possible. Thanks again to Karen Carlson for joining me today and sharing some of the nitty-gritty of being a Congolese woman. You can buy her book on Amazon. It's called Prayers for Crown Jewels. I've seen the opportunities change in the 50 plus years I've been in and around the Congolese culture. And it's good to see girls and women becoming more equal to men and having opportunities in education and careers and having a bigger choice in their decision on marriage and family. Cultures change with time. And for the Congolese woman, I think it's a good thing. While this episode painted a very bleak picture of the life and opportunities of many village girls and women, it is important to note that there are many men that treat their daughters and wives very well. They're supportive and they promote them and their well-being and give them opportunities for a good life. Many men are respecting their wives and serve as an example to their sons on how to love and cherish girls and to live more equally in a marriage. The Congolese village women are amazing on so many levels. Super hard workers, loving mothers, providers, entrepreneurs, 
and having complete devotion to their children and families. And yet their life roles are predefined by their culture and ancestral traditions, and all the while they remain content. They are an inspiration and example of living a life of servitude and humility. I hope this episode recognizes their contributions and honors them for their spirit and hard work for their families and communities. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and will join me again. Other episodes and blog articles on a variety of topics can be found at congokid.net. In addition, Life Stories by Congo Kid Podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Eels, a.k.a. Congo Kid, your humble host. Until next time, I send you off with a farewell in Lingala. Paninga Nangai, Tikala Malamu. My friends, stay well.